What's happening, weirdos? This is my chat with the comedy legend and the only former U.S. senator currently on tour, <laughs> Al Franken. That's the name of his tour, by the way. Go to alfranken.com if you want to see the man live. He's so funny, so smart, he's so interesting. The only former U.S. senator currently on tour, tour. Go to alfranken.com to get tickets today. Also, maybe both. Go to peteholmes.com. Thank you to everybody that was in Toronto, Atlantic City, and Boston. Those shows were awesome. Up next is Chicago for three nights at the Den for three shows. Go to peteholmes.com for that. It's going to be so great to be back in Chicago. Followed by San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Washington, D.C. It's been Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm so pleased with this new hour. Hope to see some weirdos out on the road. It always means so much when you can make it. Uh, And also, and also, if you like this show, why not try a Pete's Pick? A Pete's Pick? You heard me right. A Pete's Pick. What's a Pete's Pick? I only do ads for things that I actually use and I actually love. And there is no product that I actually use and actually love maybe more than Magic Mind. Magic Mind is not an energy drink. It is the world's first productivity drink. It has adaptogens, which help you cope with stress. It has nootropics, which helps your brain function at its optimum level. And it has just a little bit of caffeine from matcha, which, which by the way, I should say, and it tastes great. A lot of people don't like the taste of matcha. It tastes great because it's sweetened with honey. It is incredible. It is designed to be taken in the morning with your coffee because the adaptogens are going to round the edge of that energy boost you get from the coffee. It's going to smooth it out. The nootropics and the adaptogens and the matcha help you get into that flow state. It doesn't make me wired. It gets me dialed in. Frankly, drinking coffee by itself or too much coffee, certainly, my fists close up. I can't focus. I can't sit still. Magic Mind is the opposite of that. It is Creatorade. Like instead of Gatorade, it's Creatorade. It's wonderful. If you do anything that involves your brain, if you're working in a creative field, if you're writing, if you're podcasting, if you're like me, doing stand-up comedy, I travel with Magic Mind. Val and I are currently in New Mexico. I have it in my bag just so I can take it in the morning to feel fantastic, gives me a mood elevation, it gets me dialed in and helps me get into the flow of my day, especially when I'm trying to do do something creative. You get 30% more done on average, five to seven hours is how long it lasts, of 30% more productivity after you drink it. Try it for three to seven days for continuous use. It's even easier as you go. It builds on itself to get into that flow state. And there's a money-back guarantee. Any first purchase will be refunded. No questions asked if it doesn't meet your expectations. Plus, as if that wasn't enough, they're currently doing a 14 Days of Magic Challenge. Try Magic Mind. Drink Magic Mind for 14 days and post on social about it. And for every 10,000 views that it gets, they'll donate $10 towards the reforestation of the Amazon rainforest. This is a cause very close to me. It should be close to all of us. The Amazon rainforest is like the lungs of our planet, and it's absolute madness that we are chopping it down. So this is what we're doing to help. 
Every million views for the hashtag 14 Days of Magic will bring $1,000 donated by Magic Mind. So give it a try, post about it, and save the rainforest. I mean, it doesn't really get any better than that. Help your creativity, get into that flow state, and help save the planet. And you can get a discount and show your support of the show. Go to www.magicmind.co slash weird and use promo code weird to get a limited 20% off your first order. That's magicmind.co slash weird and promo code weird to get 20% off your first order and show your support of this show. Next up is our friends at Ned. Ned are make are makers of the best full spectrum hemp collection. They have not just CBD and CB uh, G oils, but these are specifically dialed in and designed. They're like the designer hemp oil people. For example, in the morning, I like taking it in the morning, I take my Ned De-Stress Blend. This is my ritual. A ritual is obviously, you know this, it's a daily practice that helps you stay grounded, an intentional act to take a few minutes to reconnect and take care of yourself, get present, think positive and connect to your North Star. And for me, it's all about de-stressing so I can drop into my morning, drop into what it is I have to do without feeling overwhelmed. It's a natural path to stilling your waters and getting back to easier times. The blend is dominated, dominant, excuse me, in CBG, often referred to the mother of all cannabinoids, and CBD, both extracted from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and features a botanical infusion of ashwagandha, cardamom, and cinnamon. So this is incredible for your body, incredible for your brain. I find it to be very mood elevating, rounding the edges of all my stress and getting me into that place where maybe I'm afraid literally of answering emails or sitting down to work on something I've been putting off. The De-Stress Blend by Ned is absolutely a secret weapon to naturally get over those feelings and get into my day and get productive. At night, I also take another ritual, the Ned Sleep Blend. So many people are taking pharmaceuticals at night to unwind. I love to do it with something natural and earth-based and backed by science. It helps me relax. It helps me fall asleep faster and wake up feeling fantastic with the Ned Sleep Blend. So you see what I mean? It's not just hemp oil. These are mixed with other botanicals to help you get the most out of them. It is incredible. And they help me be, obviously, they help me with everything. They help me be a better parent because I'm better rested. They help me with so many things. Basically, I want you to try it. Show your support of the show. Be a better parent. Be a better worker. And be a better you with a more focused, mild, gentle, feeling that you get from these wonderful products. Be the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with promo code WEIRD. Go to helloned.com slash weird or enter code WEIRD at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash weird to get 15% off. Thank you to Ned for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Last but not least, you can see me wearing it right now is my Apollo Neuro. Apollo Neuro is wearable tech. What does it do? It helps your body recover from stress. It's like a wearable 
hug that can help you relax, sleep, focus, and be more productive and uses touch therapy vibrations into your nervous system that help you feel safe and in control. We're currently traveling. I had it on relax and unwind the entire flight really helps my body not feel that like, oh God, I've been on a plane feeling that I get now that I'm 43. And as soon as I get off, I put on Rebuild and Recover. It helps my body acclimate to where I am and just not miss a beat in my day. It's worn on the wrist or the ankle. The Apollo Neuro delivers gentle, soothing vibrations to train your nervous system to recover and rebalance after stress. If it did one of these things, it would be incredible, but it does all of these things with the different settings. Energy and wake up, it's like espresso, but you don't have to drink espresso. Social and open is often what I have it on when I'm recording this podcast. Clear and focused has been clinically shown to help with symptoms of ADD. Rebuild and recover, that's the setting for after I visit my parents. Meditation and mindfulness helps me drop into deeper and more uh, helpful, productive, wonderful, life-affirming meditation than I've ever had in my life relax and unwind. I put it on that at night. Helps me shake off the day and ease down, power down. Val and I call it the try to stay awake setting. And sleep and renew. I literally wear this when I'm asleep. I charge it when I'm in the shower. I sleep with it. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, hit the two buttons, rerun the program, and it lulls me back to sleep. It actually trains the nervous system to cope with stress better over time. The more you use it, the better it works. And it was developed by a neuroscientist and a board-certified psychiatrist, which means this is not found in a crystal shop next to a a magic crystal ball. This is real science. They've been studying the impacts of chronic stress in humans for nearly 15 years. Apollo's effects on sleep, stress, cognitive performance, and recovery have been proven in multiple clinical trials and real-world studies. And you can get 10% off and show your support of the show by going to apolloneuro.com slash weird. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O dot com slash weird. All right, everybody. Hope to see you out on the road. It would mean so much. Go to PeteHolmes.com for all of my tour tickets. And in the meantime, enjoy the incredible Al Franken and go see him on the road. AlFranken.com. All right. Get into it. Marketing. I mean, here, it's it's an old stand-up bit I had about uh, when people go, here we are talking about it. And it always bother, bothered me when people would say, here we are talking about it. And I was like, that would only be true if we said, but here we are, against our will, buying dozens of cases of liquid death water. You know what I mean? Although now I kind of disagree with the premise. because Yeah, we'll, we'll just start. <laughs> oh, and please sit as far back as you can. Put your feet on it. It's like a sleepover. It's the filthiest couch in the world. You're so welcome. Well, do that. Certainly. Do it. Like an airplane. That? Oh, yeah. Here, have another one. This is... Oh, my God! (laughs) I just threw a pillow and it went right behind you. There you are. Is that a half lotus you're doing? It's weird. I always thought this was good, that I was flexible. And then uh, I had a masseuse finally say, your ligaments are too loose. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, Jesus Christ! (laughs) The one, the one thing I took proud, some pride of, of, of regarding your body, regarding my body. Yeah, our yeah. bodies are uh, shame, shame spirals. Yeah, I'm assuming, yes, of if course. You're and like I'm me. just going like I'm short, and you know, blah, blah, blah. but I'm flexible. I actually, I hate to yes and your shame, <laughs> but one of my first thoughts was I did think you were taller. I want, do you get that all the time? 
Yes, I. I, I hate that. I'm sorry. Well, um, I hate that I'm being typical. Reminds me of a funny story. Well, we actually have to go to <laughs> a break real quick. Yeah, in one second. Uh, this episode, I guess, please tell the story. Please tell the story. Um, so, the first day I'm in the Senate, uh, I do my. Uh, I get the U.S. In. Senate. U.S. Senate. <laughs> so, I get sworn in, United States Senate. Uh, so, I get sworn in, go back to my uh, office, do some stuff there. Then I got votes, and I'm sitting on the subway. There's subways between the, the Capitol and the different office buildings. That's fun. And sitting right across the little subways. And sitting People across still some, pee in them? You, uh, is it filthy? It's frowned upon. <laughs> Depends. Sand. I've never seen anyone do it, nor... They, they keep good care of the subway. Okay, there, good. In terms of that. Is this the subway that Kevin Spacey pushed... Uh, his assistant. Remember in House of Cards, he murders his assistant. Or I didn't. No, I was not. Uh, I didn't. You don't have to watch, to watch that. that as a member of the. Senate. No, no. <laughs> but I, I don't think. Well, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Who knows? I, you know, uh, I've never seen this, that happen. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm going back for my first votes, and sitting across from me is Chuck Grassley from Iowa, and he's only 75 at the time. <laughs> And until 75. He says, and he looks at me, and he's just staring at me, and finally goes, oh, you look just like you look on TV. Meaning? I look like, so I, I say to him, well, uh, there's a reason for that. Oh, he just meant it quite literally. He totally There meant, you are. Oh, from- you look just like you look on TV. And I said, I well, there's him- a reason for that, but... <laughs> Some people say that I'm shorter than I look on TV. He goes, oh, yeah, well, guess what they say about me? I say, well, that you're taller than you look on TV. He goes, yeah, how'd you know that? I said, well, because you're taller than you look on TV. He goes, oh, yeah, well, guess what else they say about me? I said, that you're friendlier than you look on TV. Yeah, how'd you know that? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it wouldn't hurt to smile every once in a while when you're on TV. He goes, well, normally what I'm talking about is pretty serious. <laughs> So I say, well, you could smile at the beginning and then get be serious when you're talking about the serious stuff and then smile at the end. He goes, oh, that's a really good idea. Doesn't Washington have, why do we need former SNL star Al Franken to come into this man's life to tell him well, basic this show you, business? This gives you some idea of the caliber of the people I'm working with, is what I'm saying. <laughs> smile. At the beginning. Yeah, you can. Yeah, well, normally when I'm talking about Spruce Area, well, you can smile at the beginning. <laughs> Why does Oh, it... that's really a good idea. I thought politics, please sip your liquid death mountain water. Um, here we are talking about it. <coughs> Did you belch? It's, it's not. It's liquid death. Oh, I see. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. There's what they're going for. Al Franken uh, dies hilariously. Well. <laughs> My improv training. <laughs> what can I say? Of which I had none. <laughs> Is that true? No, I didn't. Tom Davis did. Uh, Your writing partner. My writing my from high, it started in high school. And, Your life partner. Well, he he's dead now, unfortunately. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. yeah. Old Holmesy could have dug a little deeper in that research. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I did know the name and that that was your writing partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, went to high school together. Okay. And we were two of the original SNL writers. Yep. And yeah. Making like 300 a week, I believe. That he did the research for. And watch this. We're at the beginning. (laughs) So that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were hired as 
one apprentice writer, <laughs> the two of us. So you made very few bones. When the we got there the begin the first day of the show, uh, first meeting of the show. Really, and I can't really. July, right after July Fourth weekend, seventy five. First guy we met at the elevator was Michael Donahue, a great, brilliant, dark writer. Mm. And he says right away, he says to us, "How much are you guys getting paid?" Right. So we tell bat. him. Well, it's New York. People talk yeah, yeah. about money and more openly. So he says, "I spend that much money." Every week to shine my cat's shoes. Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> and I, go, I wonder. Oh. And I go like, oh, this is going to be a great show. <laughs> it's true. I'm going to ask you something, Mel. Yeah. And I want your real opinion. Sure. You're a comedy man. Mm-hmm. Did he have the line ready? Because he knew it was little. Or did he come up with it between oh, no, no, 300? No, no. I'm sure. Off the cuff. I, I spend more to shine my cat's shoes was a line he had at the ready. You think he had it at the ready? He had the ready, yeah. He had the ready. Not that genius. Still. I, had, <laughs> I did a roast once. Still, it's a good line that it's he had line. at the ready. So there you go. I did a roast where I wanted to make fun of my friend for being broke. I still feel bad about it. And I go, I won't say the guy's name. Mike Bridenstine. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, it wasn't Mike Bridenstine, but I, I, let's say the guy's name was Mike. I go, Mike, I have your rent on me. I thought that was funny. It's, it's kind of mean. That's good. But it's like, it's so little because you're so broke. Yeah. You get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. am I explaining this to you? Yeah, I, I do like, I like, uh, I do like. Uh, I have your rent on me? No, my cat's shoes. I mean, that's the winner. <laughs> it's sort of hard to follow. Michael Donahue. Anyway, so that was it. Yeah, yeah. We Let, well, okay. I want to. I obviously am excited to talk to you. I actually had a stress dream about it. For for some reason, I had this dream. First of all, you were like Nordic. You know when your dreams just get I'm the from casting Minnesota. complete. Yeah, that works. There's that. You know. Sure. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe my subconscious is a genius. But you were like, or just garden variety subconscious yeah like all of our subconsciouses would <laughs> would make such a profound leap no well, that's good though. i'm gonna go that's with genius I, yeah. I don't know why you tried to rob Brilliant. my genius genius can't i have that can't i you have it you, you have, have to it. police do, do an edit here that's great <laughs> <laughs> wow Woo. oh god <laughs> I'm going to skip the rest of the details for fear of mockery, JK. I'm not afraid of mockery. <laughs> but it was you on the podcast. Katie was there. Um, who was it? What's his name? I'm blanking on his name. It doesn't matter. There was another podcast host in the room with me. And I must be nervous about talking to you for all the things you've done. Because I've never had like a stress dream about a guest. But there you were, Nordic. Yeah. Yeah. And the guest, Ryan Sickler, it was Ryan Sickler, who's another comedian. He kept like farting into the mic and stuff. People oh, kept well, interrupting. It's you gonna help me. That's my closer. I guess it's more of an opener. Um, <laughs> it is more open. That's what I've been doing wrong. Crap. Crap is the closer. Farting is the, <laughs> farting is the opener. Okay. <laughs> I always, everything I do, I think of in a three act structure, but it must be because, you know, you I thought it was just everything is scatological. Anything I can make scatological, I will. Yeah, three act sketch structure. sketch idea scattles. It's skittles, but they're little rabbit turds. You know how rabbit turds are sort of perfect little scattles. That's that's brilliant. You were going to critique it. You may. No, I wasn't. I just was wondering. 
how to blow smoke up your ass on that joke. Mm. And, and uh, I kind of... You didn't like scattles? What, you've heard it before? No, it's good. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad at you. I'm not mad at you. But it, I, it, I, really, I'm just trying to blow smoke up your ass and be like... We've never had a senator on. Is that true? <laughs> They're so forgettable, like that yeah. one on the subway. And uh, so, somebody who's had these two lives. So I, yeah. I'm excited to have you. And I don't want Ryan Sickler farting into the mic. Because podcasts can sort of be like, some of them have turned into morning radio a little bit, where it's like, <whistles> like slide yeah. whistles, and I hit a button, and there's a toilet. It's flushing. funny, because I do a podcast. Yeah. And What's it called? It's called the Al Franken Podcast. Edit that out. And what? Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll uh, it'll be good because your listener. No, it won't be my listener. <laughs> I said your listeners. Oh, okay, Jesus. All right. I didn't know. I knew Minnesotans said weird things, but I didn't know they dropped the s on plurals. Go back to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Go back. That is same. hilarious. I'd love okay, to have so, a replay. Uh, what was? What the hell was I saying? What was I saying? You were saying you loved scattles. The the poop, <laughs> the poop skittles. That is a fucking great joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying okay. we've never had a senator, uh, a former senator, yeah, however yeah. you're supposed. Yeah. you're a senator for forever. I'm always going to think of you, well, senator, uh, on the show, both and podcasts. Our, former senators, former senators. Okay, right now. Okay, I like senator better. But so, also that uh, podcasts sort of turn into morning radio, and you're saying the Al Franken podcast. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's weird about my podcast is that I do public a lot of public policy. I do it once a week, so I don't do news of the day. But I, you know, I'm steeped in public policy and politics and stuff like that. But I also have comedians, so I just I'm dropping one. I don't know timing of you're dropping this, but uh, uh, this coming Sunday, it doesn't matter, uh, with Sarah Silverman, and I, this is her second time on, and I've had, you know, like Conan and Letterman, but like this past few weeks, I had uh, Paul Krugman, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Nobel Prize winning economist, who has a New York Times uh, column, and so and I had Neil Katyal, who was former Solicitor General, who, if your listeners watch MSNBC or that kind of thing. He is on analyzing, but and and I had him on talking what Garland's options are, Merrick Garland's options are, and then I have you know Chris Rock, and so it's a little bifurcated, mm-hmm. but um, nice. but I also there's more humor in my <laughs> my podcast than in most public policy yes. podcasts. Yes. But you're even in your podcast. You're saying it, it reflects your life. You you have your yeah. two yeah. major highways. Most people yeah, just have but one. I care about highway. this shit. You know, I care yeah. about this shit. So yeah, you know. I'll, well, you're. Oh, go ahead. No, I'll have, I'm going to double my. You know, after. Uh, <laughs> no, after um, uh, George Floyd, I had Charles Ramsey, who was chief of police for Washington and and Philadelphia, talk about police reform. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing i do mm-hmm. and then i'll have dana carvey right who's quite easy to get <laughs> dana's available who's hilarious i don't know if we need to go that far okay let's not compare <laughs> comedians just kidding he's one of the funniest people yeah who's course. ever lived and when he did this podcast i'll never forget you were were you taking that we were at the three and a half hour mark. Don't worry, we're not going to go that long today. But Dana wouldn't stop. 
until he closed. Like he wanted to close it <laughs> on a big laugh. Like I started to land the plane, <laughs> okay. and he and here I am with a legend, someone who really inspired me as as a as a performer. And he was like, I don't know, I don't know if we've done enough. Like we like he wanted Jesus. to find another bit. Yeah. Well, I had the first time I had him on was right after HW died. Yes. So he had a kind of relationship with him because, oh wow! I mean, this is a, such a different time, and <laughs> different president. He, it, we, you know, I wrote a lot of those. With Meeting Alec Baldwin's not hanging out with Trump. <laughs> is, is that what you mean? Well, there's a whole different thing. But we, but he, he did this hilarious H.W. Bush. Yeah. But it was kind of gentle in an odd way, but hilarious. <laughs> and by the way, it was so his H.W. was so funny. That Downey and I, Jim Downey, is a famously brilliant writer from SNL, did years and years on the show, and he and I wrote a lot of political stuff together. We would write these cold openings. It was like a crutch because we could just, okay, we can open the show with Dana at, at the at the desk, you know. Yeah. And we would have to tell him between dress and air, you're getting too many laughs. It's and taking too long. It's ruining not the length. It was the through line where the the, the we would write things that meant something. <laughs> well, you were trying to get a message across. Well, not a message, but at least tonight, you know, it'd be like, uh, you know, uh, this the hypodermic needle was found right across the street from the White House in Lafayette Park. <laughs> this vial, of, empty vial of crack on the White House lawn. <laughs> this bag of cocaine. Three feet from my desk here in the <laughs> Oval, you know, and so there'd be like a thing, and he would get so many laughs in between that you'd lose it, that you'd kind of lose the. Yeah. And and here's the brilliance of Dana, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he did. He made the exact adjustment between dress and air. Really, because he surprised. could get a laugh on yeah. any, you know, that hand gesture he did over there, doing that thing over there. Mm-hmm. And he could just at will, at will. And I, I, I don't think I've ever told a, a performer on SNL ever, other than that, stop getting so many laughs. Wow, like rein it in, Carvey. You're ruining the flow. <laughs> well, you're ruining the through lines. You know. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm sort of someone that is that funny when he didn't want to end. I took comfort in it because I went, it doesn't really matter. I always think of the story Oprah tells. She's interviewing Barack Obama. And at the end of the interview, they go to commercial and he leans over and he goes, uh, was that okay? He wants to good. know if he that's did good, okay. That's a good Obama. Well, he, finally he's warming up to me. I mean, nobody told him how much of the show is just telling me that I'm valid and worthy. It was a very good Obama. <laughs> <laughs> But Dana Carvey, my Obama, famously, I've always said he's my Obama. <laughs> he, okay. he also has that insecurity, meaning like I wanna, I wanna razzle dazzle at the end, and I, I took some comfort in that. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how far you've gone, you still would like. Or that's just being a professional comedian who's brilliant and great, and has high standards. All of which is what makes you really good. I hear you. But if there's anywhere you could scoot away and no one would ever bring it up, it's three and a half hours into this podcast. But, you know, (laughs) Dana once said to me, there's no reason to be a comedian unless you absolutely have to be. 
<laughs> That's good. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And it, do you agree? You must agree. I mean, it. Yeah. I hate to use the word. Uh, well, there's no way to do this. This is real. Like this is the, the first ten years of podcasting. It was only this conversation. So I don't mind in 2022 going back to it. But did you feel called to comedy? Yeah. Basically. Um, I was born in 1951. In 57, the Russians, the Soviets put up Sputnik. We were, they had nuclear weapons. They were ahead of us in space. America was terrified. My parents sat me and my brother down. My brother's five years older than me. He said, you boys are going to study math and science so we can beat the Soviets. And I thought that was a lot of pressure to put on a six-year-old, but <laughs> we studied math and science. I got it. He, got, he went to MIT and graduated with a degree in physics and became a photographer. <laughs> oh, boy. That's hilarious. I, I went to Harvard, and this a, a, during a period where it was a lot easier for a white male to get into Harvard. That period was from the founding of the school. You're filling out the application. It says, are you white male? And you check yes. It goes, yeah. <laughs> skip to page 12. You're like, all right. <laughs> all these other things. And, uh, yeah, that period was from the founding of the school until last year. Yeah. It's easier for white male. So, and I became a comedian. Yeah. And it's because I was majoring in, you know, second chemistry. And, for, and I realized, Jesus Christ, I can't do this. I don't want to do this career. Mm. And so I took, a, I took like the psych, psychology, this stupid test, Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you a- answer 500 or you put yes or no to 502 questions. I'm picturing the kids in Stranger Things wearing the gowns in an underground bunker. But yeah, keep going. Okay. So <laughs> and so the only question I remember was, I have not had any black and tarry bowel movements. And the reason I know it's the Minnesota Multifaith is that I, was, I wrote a, a kind of a memoir a couple, few years ago, and I looked up black and tarry <laughs> that question and the all the google results were that's the only question people remember or from black the and minnesota tarry. multi-phasic thing and why did, would that have anything to do with your personality it's 502 questions so it has one 502nd value i don't know so i don't know oh well two. i'll tell you why it doesn't because all the all the google things said the test was Worthless. But the results that came back... Said be a comedian? No, it said one scientist bottom, just at the very bottom, number one was camp counselor, (laughs) and number two was jazz musician, and I had never played an instrument. Black and Tari is a great blues musician (laughs) name, though, if if you want. Black and Tari and the bowel movements. I can't remember whether I answered yes or no, but uh, I put camp counselor and jazz musician together. And I said, oh, I, it's the same. I should be a comedian. I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny that we live in this time. I'd like to say uh, that wasn't a racial joke, Black and Tory. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> no, it was. It's, it's so it's, funny. I, I, I've, I, I've kind of looked into Black and Tory about movements, and there's bad reasons to have them. <laughs> oh, my God. Is there a good reason of a Black I, and Tory? Maybe if you're sealing up a roof, you're doing some roof work, and you've run out of materials, and you're like, hey, Franken, what's your answer on old 502? God damn, I wish I had a black and tarry bomb. At this, 
<laughs> of all the times. Why does the roof one? smell honey? <laughs> it'll end. It'll, it'll, it'll be over. There's no rain in here, though. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like shit, but you're dry. Yeah, that's what there it you is. Go. So when I it think does I've... rain, it'll smell like shit again. Always. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. Jazz musician and camp counselor yeah. is what a comedian is. I guess so. But again, this is a worthless test, but I just, I wanted to be a comedian, so I said comedian, right? I hear you. Yeah. Or but I want to do comedy. I think you're right. I'm agreeing with you. And I'd been doing it in high school with Tom. I'd been doing it, you know, uh, for a number of years. We we were performing at a place called Dudley Riggs Brave New Workshop while we were still in high school, which was kind of a third city. It was like second city, but in Minneapolis. Del Close, uh, co- you know. There? Uh, he, he came up from Chicago. Del Close famously uh, was a guru at, in improv, and especially at Second City. Yes. But he came up to Minneapolis to train people. And, really? Yeah. And you studied with him? I did not. Tom did. <clears throat> okay. Oh, that's right. You have no improv training. I have no improv training, but Tom's improv training was... You know Julia Child bleeding to death? You know that sketch? Mm-hmm. Okay, Tom and I wrote that. Dan so Aykroyd. Yeah, and Aykroyd mm-hmm. was Juliet. And we were looking for clothes, uh, last joke. And when you do improv, you're you're taught to look for objects. And Tom wrote the, the, um, the joke, which was go the phone, go to the, dial 911. And then she throws it down. It's a prop phone. And... And then dies. <laughs> and, it's a prop phone. And, uh, it's a prop phone. And Tom found that <clears throat> object because he did improv, which is my way of saying that all your listeners, if you're interested in doing it, this, do improv. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, it's funny. It, only until I had done it many times, I had a joke about Rachel Ray is so sunshiny on the show. I just want to see what she would do if she would cut herself. And then only years later did I go like, that's that's Julia Child. That's that sketch. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, Julia and Child we saw so- her cut herself on. Uh, Tom and I were watching uh, like the Today Show for some reason, and she was on for before Thanksgiving and prepping, and she cut herself. And how did she handle it? I R L. Well, it wasn't gushing. <laughs> blood i think she woo, woo, uh, and i don't know use a cheesecloth or something i can't remember what it With was and, but and we went uh, okay that's a sketch yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a funny thing about this Ooh. that 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 thing so we that killed in dress and we held it because the blood wasn't quite right quite right and that's a special effect job. That's a, 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 a you know member of the crew. But Tom knew the piece so well that we just asked the special effects guy, "Can Tom do it?" And it was an insecticide sprayer or something underneath there. Oh, to to work the rig. work the blood. And oh, wow. so the thing you see on YouTube, wherever you can see this thing of Julia Child bleeding to death. Tom is under the counter. <laughs> he's timing. He's an artist. Timing basically. the pressure. Yeah, he's the heart. Yeah. And he was the heart That's of that right. sketch. Oh. 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 You're not just a great comedian. You're a poet. Now you're understanding the, the, the <laughs> what whole I'm point of this for. podcast. I, for, <laughs> I apologize for not getting it until this minute. <laughs> now you're in the zone. You're in the zone. 
Let me ask you, you're the only, we've had many, many SNL people on the show, but nobody going back to the beginning. Right. And what everybody says about it now is that it's not what it used to be. And when they say that, they mean it's not doing cocaine and staying up all night. Well, I think they mean other stuff sometimes. Well, too. tell me what you think they mean and tell me what it was like. I, I really couldn't be more interested. Well, I mean, first of all, we had seven cast members. Now, when I look at the, you know, I they're still the announcing them from Saturday. Show. <laughs> it's still going. Yeah. And featuring. Yeah. <laughs> still happening. Right. And there's like 20 or 21. And yeah. Um, that's does a disservice, I think, to the those cast members. Oh yeah, and we had like twelve writers or something like that. And you know, if there was a sketch and someone was a waiter, it was a writer. Yeah, you know, we were more, you know, and we worked very. You go back and watch like the waiters and the people eating the food. It's like that's Will Forte. You yeah. know what I mean? Like for some, like the background people. Yeah. And now it's like one of the featured players who doesn't get in the show other than saying, Meg, hand you your menu. Yeah. I mean, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that was a difference. And I think that as a cast member, you get, the more you do it, the, the more confident you get, the more relaxed you are. Oh, yeah. And I can't imagine what it's like for one of these featured players who gets on once every three weeks or something to yeah. have to be featured in something and the pressure they must feel. Yeah. As opposed to you just, when there were, you know, Jane Lorraine and Gilda and Aykroyd and Belushi and Chevy and um, Garrett and then when Chevy left Billy, everybody had stuff in the show. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, th that I think uh, qualitatively is a difference, is a difference. Qualitatively, nice. Huh? Bifurcate qualitatively. I'm just enjoying your vocab. Okay. Qualitatively. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did well on the SATs. That's why. Yeah. You went, went to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up in that area. So I, uh, in that what? Area. I used to hang, hang out in Harvard Square all oh, really? the time. Yeah, okay. very different. But anyway, you don't have uh, no, an my, accent. Or my Boston parents accent. do, big time. They do really. They what just, happened? How did you dodge that? Or the, my father you... actually worked really hard and got out of that uh, Somerville and moved us to, as we like to say, hoity-toity Lexington. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah so, of course. There it goes. There and then goes. you get the nice non-regional. And how old were you then? I mean, my moved. earliest memories are in that house. I mean, I kind of remember being in Melrose for a little bit, but then Lexington. So. Okay, I see. I but see, my I mother, see. and I didn't, I didn't hear it in my mother and my father, but they really have it. My mom's from Southie. Like, they, oh, okay. they have it. Sure, sure, time. sure. And my father. My wife's from Maine, and so okay. she has a Maine accent, which is very different, but yeah. it has a certain... It has its own charm. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Tell me, uh, at the beginning, before SNL... Now I feel like SNL is sort of doing an impression of what it became. Like before, at a certain point, the die was cast, right? But you were there before the yeah, die was cast. Yeah, I mean, cast. the format's the same damn format. It's the same format. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, the first show was like, maybe you're too young for this. Do you remember Midnight Special? Is that a... Midnight Special, Wolfman Jack, on Friday nights, hosted this show. Which was music. It was like, but, and the, the, our first 
show, we had, I think Carlin did two monologues. Mm-hmm. Valerie Bromfield did a monologue. Um, we had three music guests or something. Whoa. I mean, it was just very... And not- there was no live from New York, I believe. I think there was. Really? Yeah, I want to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines. Wasn't that, I think it was... And then it went live from New York? Yeah, it was Mike O'Donohue with Belushi. It sounds like a Mike O'Donohue. It was a very... <laughs> he's teaching... Uh, Belushi is from some Eastern European country, and he's teaching him English. And <laughs> one of the things he... I want to I want to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines. And that was the, that was the first... <laughs> That was the first thing on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and then O'Donohue has a heart attack, and Belushi, the immigrant, thinks that that's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> oh and he has a heart gosh. attack, and they're both dead. <laughs> and Chevy came out and went live from New York on Saturday Night. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember that. Maybe uh, maybe I watched Mad TV. Maybe it was the premiere of Mad TV. Because <laughs> they didn't say or it Or Fridays. Live. It might have been Fridays. <laughs> Larry David's Fridays. Oh, my God. Fridays. Right. So, okay, the format hasn't really changed other than that first episode, which had too many monologues, I'm just going to say. Yeah, it just was we didn't find it. And then, then I think the second show might have been like Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel reuniting or something. Wow. So that was different. I think the first show that looked like what the show became was Candace Bergen hosting, which was like the third show or something. Okay. And we started to get it, and um, you know, the second season, the first show, second season. I um, after the show's over, I go back up the seventeenth floor. The phone's ringing. I answer it, and some guy goes, "Well, the show's show's terrible. This is the end of the show. Saturday night dead." And I'm like, that's been going on Your since dad? then. <laughs> Wait, you somebody know? just cold called you. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> just someone wanted, was mad. And it was actually a great show, I think. It was Lily Tomlin. Um, but... Back when 411 was the internet. You could just call information <laughs> and go, get me Saturday Night yeah, yeah. Live. And they'd connect you for and, free. Yeah. They called NBC. I don't know. But I, why they got I the switchboard. The why I answered the damn phone, I don't yeah. know. Hey, I answered But, but I mean, that's phones. what like people say that all the time. They've been saying that for the whole the, Since the third episode. Years or Saturday Night Live did. Saturday Night did. What was it? I, I mean, I so don't. So there's always great stuff on the show and always. Terrible. <laughs> what, is there something you would change about the format? No. <laughs> Why would you? Oh, yeah, this has worked for 46 years. Let's change it. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. I've, I've heard good arguments made to make it an hour. I've heard oh, arguments. No, I mean, no. so much of it lives on YouTube now anyway. I know. It's very, very different. Yeah. Also, they pre-tape a lot. They do a lot more pre-taping than we yeah. used to do. And there's your chance for the nervous newcomers to shine, actually, is because yes. now they're on the in the streets yeah, with cameras. Yeah, and they do some great style. The, the pre-tapes, are, it's, some of them are amazingly, yeah. soundingly good. Yeah. And um, But you lose something... To me, because it was a live show. We we Albert Brooks did a couple some films and we did stuff like that, but mainly it was people running around the studio doing costume changes in front of the audience. I mean, right. it was much it was a little different Vaudeville-y, feel to it, yeah. circusy, yeah, exciting, yeah. I mean, how long would it take you to go to sleep after tape night? I have to imagine it's well, the it's juice ridiculous. Of course, it, the show ends at one. The cast has to get out of their costumes and makeup. 
then you go to a party and you get there at one thirty, one forty-five, and then you're up till three or four, and you're mainly just talking about the show. With the, yeah, you know, and coming down. I have to imagine the juice. Of yeah, it. you're peaking. At, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're supposed to peak when you do the show, right? No, it's <laughs> the relief that the show went well, or at least the relief that even if it didn't go well, it's over. I mean, I think there's a yeah. A I mean, if we did a really good show, we were very happy, and if we did a, a, a shitty show, we were very down. Yeah. What what was it like when Paul Simon and Mark Carvunkel got back together? <laughs> well, you mentioned it, and I'm just like, you were there for that? That's incredible. I, they got back together again a few times. Yeah. I mean, they've, you know, reunion concerts or stuff like that. I wasn't fight. privy to whether, I can't remember if they shared a dressing room. <laughs> I can't, I just... <laughs> It seemed fine. It seemed fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Super fun. Beautiful. It was beautiful. When you think, <laughs> what about like, like a bridge? Oh, isn't that a beautiful song? God damn, Paul's good. I know. And Art Garfunkel was he's a there beautiful, beautiful, too. beautiful voice. No, he does have a beautiful voice, and he's great in that uh, Jack Nicholson movie. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Carnal knowledge. Carnal knowledge. Yeah, I watched. It, I was like, Art. Yeah, I think it's the name. Garfunkel. Garfunkel I mean, was, you're in. You're in trouble. And Paul Simon just sounds like yeah. a folk star. Yeah, and I'm sure it was Simon and Nonsky or something. Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> or Garfunkel and Nonsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, and then what happened? How did you eventually work your way into becoming a performer on the show? Well, um, actually, Tom and I, you know, kind of, not audition, but we did... Yeah, kind of audition for Lorne there. Kind of, well, is this a different Lorne, or was Lorne different back then? Now he seems well, so. Yeah, this was forty six years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but was he still scary? I know his. Uh, you know, I well, you know, we were had our first job, and we were, yeah, and it was scary, you know, and we had a six week contract. That's a vote of confidence. Well, I know. We had a six-week, I think it was six-week. Kim stapled with a ticket day, back to Minnesota. The day our option was up, I, I just kind of went, Lauren, um. And you go, oh, Jesus. You know, and we had written, actually, some of the first commercial parodies. and Really? We were doing fine. But I remember we'd write something, and Lauren would read it, and we, we'd come in, and you'd go, like, is this the best thing you've ever written? And we'd go, No. And they go like, come back when it's the best thing you've ever written. And then after we did that like four or five times, we just went like, Jesus Christ. Of course, you can't always write them. <laughs> yes. And I go, okay. I, I don't know. So Did you we, just start saying yes? No, we just, he stopped saying it at a certain point when but we went was, like Lauren. <laughs> but even as, it, I'm thinking there's an iconic photo. It's Belushi and Aykroyd and Chevy. And Lorne backstage in like a kitchen or something. Oh, I think that might be at the White House or something. Oh, really? I yeah. remember Ackroyd's like looking at a, a, a carrot. It, it's clearly like he's looking for some prop to do a bit, but it's before the bit's happening. Anyway, Lorne just looks like one of them. Like, you know, he's got yeah. dark hair. He's a young man. So what's interesting about that is this is the best thing you've ever written story is you kind of see the early stages of that persona. You know, Lorne goes home and is more of a regular guy. But when it comes to corralling comedians, he's got well, I mean, what an achievement he's done. I mean, what a mammoth achievement this has been. This is 46 seasons, 47, whatever it is. And the 
people have come through that show. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. And the comedy, the, I mean, it's just... Do you think it benefits from having a withholding father kind of guy? Whatever it is, you know, yeah. Uh, he, he's been, you know, it's been genius the way he's done this. But do you do better? I know I do. If there's someone, like I did a show with Judd. And I'll never forget one time I got a little tipsy with Judd. I know, your HBO I, yes. series. Yes. And I accidentally called him dad. And I was like, well, that's that's a little on the nose. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like I was, you know when life is a little on the nose? Yeah, yeah. But I realized that's, that's actually good for me. One of the things that motivates me, and they don't have to be as high status as Judd. I would just like to impress somebody that's withhold, like just making me earn uh, the affection or whatever it might be. Is that how you're wound? Hmm. What drives you? Or what drove you back then? Well, um, I think what drove me was just making ourselves laugh. You know? Um, Very Jack but, McBrayer of you. Huh? I, just, I just want to laugh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just received and didn't deserve the Ernie Kovacs Award, which is part of the Dallas uh, video fest and hmm. you know conan deserves it <laughs> is that what you said in your i'm speech? sure they've asked him yeah and i didn't deserve it but i took it anyway but i called conan to get his thoughts on on kovacs and he just said well the thing about when he looks at ernie kovacs stuff is that the best stuff was always the stuff where he was just having a gas mm -hmm. and making himself laugh and I think that was, that's what it is. That's what it is. The, the, during COVID, Conan said to me, because he couldn't go into the office, he just said, the reason I went into comedy is to be in a room with funny people. Mm -hmm. That's a good line. Yeah. Yeah. And he couldn't be. And that's, the, and people ask me, what's your favorite memory from SNL? And it really is just three in the morning, um, you know, Wednesday morning when the, the show got written, we had horrible work habits. <laughs> and, you know, from, we st didn't really start writing until like 10 p.m. I mean, we were kicking around ideas, but really writing. And just rolling on the floor laughing hmm. at something, when you know, Dana said, or, or you know, Ackroyd or Gilda or Downey or, yeah. You know, Jack Handy, or I mean, I did 15 seasons there, so there's a million of these names. You could really say any name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. But you just want to be with funny people laughing. I mean, that's. That was sort of it. And I remember once a, uh, a critic from, I think it was a Philadelphia Inquirer TV critic goes like, who do you write for? What's your, the audience? And I think she was looking for a demographic or something. Mm-hmm. And I went, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> You're just trying to get those laughs in the room. We're making ourselves laugh. Yeah. That's the only way I think you can write comedy, basically, I think. I sure. think. Or yeah. good, good stuff, I think, I think. No, I would agree with that. I mean, for what it's worth. I, I am interested in as cliche as it is. Actually, SNL made fun of this podcast once, which I obviously took as a great that's, honor. That's huge. Yeah. It is huge. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Um, that I'm always trying to get at like some of the psychology of it. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of us are. And for me, it's definitely that I was trying to get 
I lived in a house where no one was really listening to me, or I didn't feel like I was getting listened to as much no, as I wanted. Very, so very sad. I, yeah, there's a sadness to it. There was a lot of. Uh, there's more to it. That's kind that. of the tears behind the clown. Uh, cl- yeah, take a good look at my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it stands to reason that I would want to get in a situation. My parents were also always arguing, so I wanted to diffuse arguments. This is like classic. This is like yeah, right yeah. out of the card catalog. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You pull it out, there's comedian. Stop the fight, um, be heard. And I wanted that, that uh, guttural, that physical... Uh, confirmation that I had been heard. Mm-hmm. Not just a mm-hmm, but I wanted to make you Life. roll over with laughter. And I was like, I exist. I'm here. Did they, they laugh at you? They understand. Stuff? My parents really? would laugh at me. Yeah, they, they were they were or charmed with, with me. They're they weren't my biggest fans and, and they're they're still not really sure what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's not to say they don't like it and they don't support me. They do. But they've come to my shows, I've said this before, and I can see them in the audience and they're just they're just looking around. Really? They can't wow. believe everyone's laughing. Wow. Not in a bad way. They just, they're not really hip. Wow. To they it. don't have the sensibilities that somehow you develop. <laughs> yes. They would love it. Both That's of my parents funny. would That's love it. That's very odd. If my mom went on stage and told a joke, in fact, if my mom makes a joke, just yeah. like me earlier, and you don't laugh, she'll go, That was a very funny, say ha ha ha. Say very funny, mama. And she won't move on until you like tell her, like you did jokingly to me, like, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll give you an example. They just visited. My mom goes, Well, that's a very pretty ceiling. And I just went, Huh? And she went, Usually you would say something in return about, I just said it was a pretty ceiling. And I was like, I don't know what wait, the wait, what's going on. What accent is that? That's not. Yeah, it's a not Boston really how she sounds. That's like. My brother I just. I think the person whose accent you're doing. Just died. <laughs> this accent no longer exists. What's well, Natasha the Legero, queen. I thought it, Okay. Oh, it's I, the queen. I thought it was the queen. Oh, I see. I thought you were just saying the last person that spoke that way just died. Oh, today. I see. I see. Yeah. <laughs> Curve foul. But so <laughs> you you can't necessarily, and you don't have to identify anything other than a love of comedy uh, for wanting to get into it, for the compulsion to do it. Because there are some just funny people that work in sandwich shops. They laugh with their friends all day. Oh, I was ambitious. I wanted, you know, that kind of stuff. But I thought I was at the right place. I mean, I was on, you know, we were just like, Jesus Christ, look where we are. You mean getting on SNL? Yeah. But you had to really, uh, well, you didn't really know what it was. That's an interesting question. How did you find out what SNL was and that they were hiring? I I didn't. I didn't. Uh, Tom and I have been doing stand up at the comedy store. And uh, William Morris agent Herb Carp. Uh, I know Herb. Yeah, Herb. <laughs> he came. He just said, "Why don't you come to my office?" And he said, "You guys are a picture smoking. He's smoking." I don't. I don't think Herb was smoking. But anyway, um, he. Uh, like would he you could. guys be interested in writing, like TV variety, or and we said, "Yeah," but there's nothing on right now that we could write for, and basically it was Carson. It was a really great show, but we were not right for that. We couldn't. We're not Carson Mighty Art Players writers, yeah, and not monologue. You know, not that kind of monologue writing. And then there was Carol Burnett, which was a great show, but just generationally, we were completely wrong for it. And there was Sonny and Cher, which was kind of crappy. Show it was not very good. And so, like, was, so, so I said, "Well, why don't you write a package of material for a show you'd like to see?" And I like to write for, and we did. We wrote a newscast. We wrote a commercial parody. We wrote 
sketch, which was a parody of Sonny and Cher. <laughs> and then we did a conceptual film. And it was 14 pages long. And this is for people listening, for young people listening who want to write and submit packages, <laughs> some material. It doesn't have to be 50 pages. It can be the, you know, yeah. you can tell, people can tell after a page. Right. And sometimes right. that's all they're going to read, is, especially well, of these Because you're going to go, okay, and no, no. Yeah. Right. So you wrote 14 pages that... 14 pages. Change your life and invented SNL, question mark? Well... It sounds like I'm claiming that. <laughs> Go ahead. But Lauren, Lauren, we were the only writers Lauren hired that he he did not meet. Oh, no meeting. Yeah, we weren't. Yeah, he didn't meet with us because you're in L.A. We were in L.A., but I guess he had, you know, uh, I mean, a number of the people he had met before because he had been in L.A. too. Remember, he did Laugh and then he did Lily Tomlin specials, I think, in L.A. Mm-hmm. Do you remember anything from the packet? Yeah, I remember the newscast was a newscast on the night of the day of World War III. <laughs> well, tragedy, death, catastrophe. I like tonight's news after this message. And then there was a commercial <laughs> parody, and then it was, well, today it happened, World War III. <laughs> um, let's see. Something about uh, you know, killing 120 million Russians and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> 1.7 billion Chinese. <laughs> really and now with the sports, Barney Johnson. Or with the weather. Temperatures up to 8,000 degrees. And that is so funny. In the valley today. Or no, 8,000 degrees, 8,040 in the valley. I think it was, it was the local LA news. You know, Cooling off tomorrow to an uninhabitable 450 degrees. <laughs> something like that. And now, now with the sports, Barney Johnson. As soon, <laughs> as soon as you name World War II, World War II. Like a franchise, you do. Since then, we've been worrying about World War Three. Yeah, and it hasn't happened yet. That's Thank right. Fucking God. And World War One wasn't called. It was called the Great War. Yeah, I think it was. Now that. And then it was retroactively rebranded as World, World War One. And World War Three will be. So there. I wrote a sketch with Downey and some other people kicked in great jokes, but it was comedy killers. I don't know if it was like Jeopardy, and the categories were like uh, the Kennedys, the Holocaust. Like things you can't Cancer, talk about. <laughs> yeah. blah, blah, blah. And Downey wrote this great joke, which was the final Jeopardy, final Jeopardy, or final comedy killer. And the category was the greatest comedy killer of all time. <laughs> and none of the contestants got it right, and the answer was, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. <laughs> Very specific. Isn't that a fucking great joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet I still recently, not this year, but before pre-pan, I would be brought up after like footage of cancer, nothing wrong with footage of cancer patients. It's just not right to go, ladies and gentlemen the comedy stylings of Pete Holmes. Like, it's not... Like, you'd think it would be the opposite, actually. Like this Wait a minute, you're saying you can't Like, you do up? a fundraiser or something, and they show the video of all the good work that oh, the yeah. fundraiser's done. Yeah, burn units. Beautiful you thing. don't want to do that for a burn that's, unit. It's true. That's exactly my boy, point. Boy, oh boy. That's the worst. Did you? I've done it for... And then, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Al Franken. Like, you just want to say, like, just for the sake of everything... Like, it's not... Like, sometimes I envy musicians. I feel like a musician could go out and play following a sad video mm -hmm. like that would be okay unless you're like 
fucking Jimmy Buffett or something. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> you like fuck you, man. People are dying. Like, that's not going to work. Yeah, I think he has a couple go-tos that he can do, like, or a little... I actually think I just made a mistake. I don't think he sings if you like pina coladas. I think that's someone else. No, no, he does, he does margaritas. Margaritas. But it's the same category of tropical drinks. Anytime sour mix and rum are getting in a, in a blender, Jimmy Buffett's nearby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, when we come back, we'll shift gears. We are going to go to a, a short break. We're going to come back and we'll, we'll talk about the second part of your career, which I'm still confused how that happened. I know you probably talked about it a lot. But we're yeah. going to talk about it. Move into politics when we come back. Pardon the interruption, weirdos. This episode is brought to us by our friends at Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of Father Greg Boyle's audiobooks uh, on my iPhone. And when I do, it's been an absolute pleasure. A lot because the books are incredible, obviously, but in huge part because when I do, I listen to them on my Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Raycon everyday earbuds look feel and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for a perfect in-ear fit these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge trust me i often wear these earbuds when i'm on my treadmill which means my body is moving quite a bit and they stay put and they sound fantastic raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life raycons are also priced just right you get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands it's no wonder raycons everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews they have three customizable sound profiles earbud tap functions noise isolation everything you get in the super super expensive ones you get them in raycon just as great feeling sounding and looking amazing i absolutely love them they keep in place they sound great and you don't have to spend an arm and a leg to get high 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 quality audio and you can show your support of this podcast so go to buyraycon.com today and use code weirdo15 to get 15 percent off your raycon order that's code weirdo15 at buyraycon.com to score 15 percent off buyraycon.com code weirdo15 you're listening to podcasts you might as well do it in comfort with great audio quality and with all the functions that you could possibly dream of buyraycon.com and use promo code WEIRDO15. All right, guys, back to the show. We're back. There's no time that passes for us. I understand that. <laughs> I understand how that works. I'm not stupid. <laughs> the guy that thinks everything is about him. I know how it works. <laughs> um, you Well, I actually, before we get into politics, I mean... Pick a name. There's so many people that you worked with. Was there great comedy advice, all these people that you worked with, or a moment, somebody telling you you're doing a good job, you're on the right track? I mean, pick a name from the litany of people that you worked with. Dan Aykroyd pulls you aside, gives you a cigarette, and says, Frankenbeans, he called you Frankenbeans, right? You're going to be okay, or something. No. I can't. I well, we have I, more ads actually. When we come back, <laughs> I'm trying. Well, no, what about a lesson that you so learned? Steve Martin once saw something I did. I did the White House Correspondents Dinner, and he said something like, 
you should do that kind of thing. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. Like you're in your element. Yeah. Or, was that pre Senate or post? Oh no 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 way pre. Pre. He didn't even mean that. He just meant. I think he was saying you should do weekend update, and I didn't get it. So that's. Oh well, yeah. that's fine. What about comedy advice? You're watching how these different people work, like all the different strategies. What did you absorb from watching the different writing styles, performance styles? Or I, I well, could ask again, you- again, it's like to me, it's like um, the only reason to do comedy is if you have to, and if you have to, you'll just do it, and don't worry about you know getting your. The worst thing you can do is get twenty minutes together go to the comedy store or somewhere and then just do that 20 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's just right. That happen. Oh, it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's try to figure out uh, a process and, and be patient with yourself. You know, it's a long slog, you know, it's a 10,000 hours thing, you know? Yeah. I'm not familiar with, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What if I, I'm the one person that doesn't know that 10,000 hours. And then where do you remember, the moment when you were like, I think I'm going to go for this, like I'm going to try and become a senator? Oh, senator. Um, yeah. I do remember the time I thought about doing it. And um, Paul Wellstone was um, senator from Minnesota. He got elected in um, in uh, 92 and uh, an upset victory. And he was a great progressive uh Senator, and he's a friend of mine. And two thousand two, he was uh, running for re-election, and he was in a dead heat with Norm Coleman. Um, and he had to vote in October on the Iraq War, and he was going to vote against it. And the large majority of Minnesotans were for going to war. And Paul told me this is probably going to be the end of my career because he was in a neck and neck race. And he voted against it. And the next poll that came out had him up by seven. Oh, wow. It went the other he, way. Because it went the other way because Minnesotans respect a politician who votes his conscience. Then uh-huh. his plane went down and with Paul and his wife and his daughter and three aides and two pilots died. And Coleman ended up winning the race. And three months after he, Norman Coleman got into office, he did a uh, interview with Roll Call, which is a Capitol Hill newspaper, and he said, to be blunt, I'm a 99% improvement over Paul Wellstone. Hmm. And I said, who the fuck is going to beat this guy? Hmm. So. That's very West Wing. I, I don't mean to make light of this person who died or anything, but when it gets personal like that, there's a West Wing moment mm. where someone puts down Martin Sheen, someone who died. It's almost, mm. it's, it might have been inspired by this for all I know. And he was like, well, guess what? Game on. Like, now it's personal sort of thing. But yeah, it lit yeah. a fire under you. Yeah, and that's not a reason to run for the Senate, I guess. But uh, I moved back to Minnesota. And um, I, in 2006, I just campaigned for Democrats who were running in the state. And I found that crowds would turn out for me. And so I decided to go for it. Because of comedy? I think because of comedy, I also written these books like Rush Limbaugh's a big fat idiot and other observations, which was I, I've written four number one New York Times bestsellers. Wow! Not to brag about my four. What do you pull down for number this? one? Huh? 
what do you pull down for those? Those are good. They're, it's, it's good. It's good. Lies and Lying Liars was the biggest, and that, uh, that was about Fox, and Fox sued me. Oh, wow. And thank you. So my, my wife wanted to get a band, a marching band, to go in front of Fox going, thank you very much. Boom. Thank you very much. Nicest thing that any... I mean, it was amazing. Because it put so much attention there. Everyone had to read it. Yeah. And yeah. they were laughed out of court. They, they, the, they, uh, the title of the book was Lies and Lying Liars Who Tell Them a Fair and Balanced Look at the Right. And so they sued me for copyright or tried to stop the book from being published because of, quote, copyright infringement. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. And the thing is, is that the case law is clear that if you're... If the thing, if the title is, th- is something you're actually writing about, mm-hmm. it's fine. <laughs> so right. they were just laughed out of court. And But O'Reilly was so mad at me uh, for I had made I made him really look bad at a book expo mm. and that he insisted they sue. And it was... It was an O'Reilly Sue. They had to do it to they had to do please, it to please him. Yeah, and I'm uh, uh, Floyd Abrams, who was number one, you know, uh, First Amendment lawyer in the country. Took my case. He'd done Pentagon Papers and all that kind of stuff. And he calls me up. He told me not to go to court, you know, for it. And he said we won. I said Floyd, a chimp, could have won this. <laughs> and later, there was a documentary made about the case, and he wrote. And he was interviewed, and he said, a monkey could have won this. And I call him up. I go, I didn't say monkey. I said chimp. And he said, what's the difference? I go, well, chimp is funny. Monkey isn't. Chimp. A chimp. Even MailChimp, which is a sponsor, is funny. I'm just kidding. They're not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, chimp is funnier. Also yeah. close to And he testified and- once in front of the uh, – I was on the Judiciary Committee. Okay. I wasn't. A, I'm not a lawyer, but I played one in a sketch. That's what I like to say. <laughs> and uh, Floyd was testifying, and I just made him have to. I told that story. I made him. <laughs> you got it right on the record. I got it on the record. It's in the congressional record. <laughs> he misquoted me. So you decide to go for it for this beautiful reason. You get sued for your books that you made a lot of money for. Mm-hmm. Then you run, and I, it was a very, very close race. 312 votes. I clobbered him. It was the narrowest clobbering in history. You clobbered him by 312 12 votes, yeah. Roughly an IHOP, like a full IHOP. It, 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 this recount, we, I actually won the recount in time to be seated with my colleagues, but the uh, Republicans went to court and uh, delayed me like six months. But when I got there, it was the 60th Democratic vote, and I was 60th Democratic senator, so that's how we got the Affordable Care Act. And did you... I don't care for that act. Did you... <laughs> Just kidding. Did you... Uh, great ha- fucking act. Thank God we got that damn thing. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. Did you have any imposter syndrome? I mean, people have imposter syndrome for less. For some reason, I didn't. And for I think it was basically that I knew why I was doing it, and uh, it was it ceased to be you know revenge or something. But I knew why I was doing it. I was doing it for all the right reasons. It's similar to your very pure and to me sometimes challenging 
just love of comedy. Like you just wanted to do comedy because you just want to laugh and you just want to do what makes you laugh and make people laugh. That's, that's a very pure intent. Yeah. But I really kind of think that's any good comedian. That's, that's what, what they're after. Is, right. Yeah. And I'm not sure that every politician I, went, goes into it for the same reasons. I hear you. I went in. I'm challenged by that just because I know when I'm off access, it's because I'm doing comedy because it makes me high. And when I'm on access I'm and feeling good and I'm in the flow and doing good work, to be honest, it's because I'm going on stage because I want to make everybody laugh, not for the feeling you get from making people laugh. Does that make I see, sense? I see. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah. when I, I'm with you, I got yep, into this yep, because yep. I want to do what makes me laugh, but then it gets very tempting mm -hmm. to get, it's the ring of power, Tolkien's ring of power. Now you're like, oh, this gets me, this yeah. gets me off. Yeah. And then that can become your new reason to do it. Yeah. And my wife has to recalibrate me every once in a while and she's like, okay, you didn't like it, but didn't you do your job? Didn't you make them laugh? Like, you're, like it's not really about you being like, I'm a golden boy, you know what I mean? Which clearly is my wound, not yours. I'm sorry, we have to live that way. <laughs> I did put that on you in a strange moment. <laughs> and what a great response. So you got into it for the right reasons. Going back to what we were saying about being on the subway, why don't more politicians, or maybe they do now because of social media, whatever, but there does seem to be a lack of performance, show business, basic public speaking stuff like is that changing are people becoming slicker or more polished no i mean <laughs> i i think if anything people are just too uh, programmed to uh consultant driven and there is a certain sameness you know um and i mean this is why trump won for because he had that that entertainment because factor. he yeah and he you know he was running remember when he ran in the primaries in 16 all the other guys were just there was a number of reasons first of all trump's rallies were incredibly entertaining to watch right so cnn would just cut to them right <laughs> and so right. at mbc because you, how could you take your eyes off this right thing and and he you know uh in the podcast I did with Sarah, uh, we were talking about how he was like a stand-up and yeah. he could riff. And well, he Chappelle just... had that line. Sorry to interrupt. He did? Remember he called COVID, I'm not endorsing this joke. I do, I'm saying it like Trump. I do not like this joke. It's a terrible joke. But he called <laughs> COVID Kung Flu. And uh -huh. Chappelle's joke about that was, why is he saying that? I'm supposed to be saying that. Uh -huh. and, it, and that is sort of to your point. Like, what is this? Like, what's happening? Well, he was like riffing and whatever, and he could do that. And none of these other guys could do anything like that. And all their, if you see a debate, he would just insult them and they would do these talking points that were exactly what you're talking about, which yeah. is just, you can't listen to them really uh, at a certain point, especially when there's like 10 people in a debate and they each get a minute and they each That's right. given a minute we're sort 15 of answer by a consultant and they've memorized it and they rattle it off and you know and he would just uh make fun of them you know yeah and he would call them you know low energy jeb or right right you know, little marco and all that shit right and people would go wow i, I like that Cro crooked yeah. hillary is pretty easy to remember uh, yeah and um again i just think that you know uh 
build the wall and make and Mexico pay for it was his hot pockets. You know, his Gaffigan hot pockets. Yeah, it was I mean, his he, closer. He just he just said it, and uh, the response he got. I'm not. Sure, it was not a public policy that he had thought through. Yeah, and of course he said Mexico would pay for it. And, you know, right, but, right. Uh, it didn't matter, and um, so that's why he won because right. he didn't talk like everybody else. He reminded. Uh, it's a lot a part of it. And also, he, he tapped into the deep resentment people have and that a lot of people have in our country. The disillusionment and all that. Well, they're, you know, at a certain point, people start getting really pissed off that their kids aren't doing better than they did. Right. Which had kind of been the promise that we had had since, you know, the end of World War II. Yes. What is, I know this is a big thing to put on you, but we're just two guys talking. Yeah. Is the answer, do we need a flat, like, okay, Roy Wood Jr., talk about other comedians, has a joke about like, you can't beat crazy with sane. You have to, the only way to beat crazy is <laughs> yeah. with crazier. Yeah. That's why he liked Bernie. Uh, Bernie was just kind of liberal crazy enough to be like, we're going to... Well, he was very, yeah. very passionate. And But he's also going to give everybody health care and college is going to be free. Like that's sort of like... This country is run by the millionaires and the billionaires. And then in 2019, it turns out that he's a millionaire. <laughs> well, I don't. And he had to change his stump speech, and he had the toughest time doing it. Was that a problem? Well, he came by it honestly. He had written some uh, best-selling books, not number one New York Times best-selling books like me, which, by the way, makes you a millionaire. So, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Cut that out. No, okay. don't, you don't have to cut that out. I wasn't Hang trying on. to. Shots fired. No, 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 no. It's no. just what like I'm saying I is... was sitting here assuming Bernie Sanders was a millionaire. He's he's been in, you know. Show business, public office for well, a very no, long no. time. Well, uh, no, you don't get, believe me, you don't, uh, the salary for a senator is, uh, I don't know exactly what it is right now, it's about $200,000, and, you know, you have to have two residences, it, it, uh, you know, it's it, not, it's now, not. Some, some of the senators have their spouse be a lobbyist, I mean, there's other ways <laughs> uh, for them to make money, but if you're... Um, no, they're my colleagues. Don't you know? Didn't that's interesting. Uh, didn't have a lot of money. Well, I might be a, a dingus, but I just was like anybody that's that recognizable must be making a lot doing public speaking. No, well, you can't do public speaking. You can't really? get paid to publicly speak. No, they no, used to do that. They st they stopped doing that. Oh, I didn't and know that for good reason. Yeah, but you can write a book. You can write a book. Yeah. So Bernie had written these books. And Is that how he did it? Yeah, that's how he did it. So what's uh, what's the big deal? No big deal. But anyway, the point was, all this thing was, the, this country is run by the millionaires and, and the he, billionaires and because politicians rely on millionaires and billionaires for their donation. And and, and then he had to start saying, like, this country is run by the <laughs> the billionaires and multi-billionaires. And then he had a heart attack doing it, remember? Uh, he had a heart attack in 2019. Well, it's hard to shift gears on yeah, the freeway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. I don't. I don't know. He's still not the one percent. I don't know why I'm hang, getting hung up on this. It's like, can't you still be against the 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 unfair disbursement yes. of wealth this, and be a millionaire? I, I, of course. And, right. and again, he came by it honestly. And he's, but he also would want himself to be taxed. 
Right. Fairly. He's going against his best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Which is... Um, uh, and you could touch surprise, me. surprise. I a lot it. of people don't. I mean, I mean a, a lot of people. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. They, they, this is the Republican Party. I mean, yeah. the Republican Party, which is so weird because they are always, you know, tapping into the resentment of people who live in red areas where things aren't, the economy isn't doing well and people are, you know, saying my kids aren't going to do better than me and they're they resent the elites and right there's reasons to resent elites there's you know elites can be self-serving certainly in washington but that's the odd part about it is is that they're trying to tap into that but the republican party is doing the the uh, acting the will of the very of the Koch brothers of the of the very wealthy right and they're they cut taxes on the wealthy. That's what Trump did, right? After running, <laughs> you know, supposedly for working people. Right. And so, no, but Bernie, yeah, he came by and honestly wrote these books, but he would tax himself at a much higher rate. Hmm. And so going back to my Roy Wood Jr. And, and people should be able to make money. People should be able to... I, I once I, I had this idea for Bernie Sanders. Everyone, I would I would preside. You know, you preside when you're in the majority. You preside uh, of the Senate, and you call on. Um, and every once in a while, I just daydream. And I thought of uh, if Bernie Sanders had a uh, right wing identical twin, a crazy right wing identical twin, and so it'd be like uh, chair recognizes the senator from Vermont. Is my party gone crazy? What creates jobs of, of entrepreneurs who risk the capital and take chances and create jobs for hard-working America? And, sir, excuse me, are you not actually Senator Sanders but his crazy right-wing identical twin? Yes, I am. Well, I'm afraid, sir, I'm going to have to ask the sergeant of arms to have you removed. That's all right, but I'll be back. Because they can't tell us apart. So that... <laughs> Cerny Banders? Huh? Cerny Banders. Arnie, Arnie Sanders. Arnie Sanders. <laughs> and, he did say, I'll be back. Yeah, and I'll be back. <laughs> they can't tell us apart. And... and <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. My original Roy Wood Jr. question, though, is, do we need... There's a lot of threads to go down here. You're, you're in this, charge. Yeah, I know. I have to pick which one's more interesting, and I'm going to forget the other one. But do we need more crazy to fight crazy? Like, do you do we need Tom Hanks to come well, out? Tom and, Hanks is hardly crazy. No, I know, but uh, he, oh, could, you're, he you're, could play I'd crazy. I'd like to finish the, the, Do you need Tom I, Hanks to be crazy? No, no, no. Do we need a huge, <laughs> famous... Do you, like, when I say crazy, I mean splashy, loud... Oprah, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, somebody that can go in and Remember be like... Remember the last guy I won was Joe Biden. Yeah, but that was the anybody but Trump year. Yeah, and the next one, unfortunately, may be the anybody but Trump year, too. Right. I mean, we're on a really odd edge here where he could be indicted for, you know, the, the uh, keeping these 
uh, top secret documents at his resort <laughs> or for, you know, all the tax shit he did in New York or that that's a legal suit. But believe me, the Manhattan prosecutor is going to be looking at that or for what, you know, the Raffensperger call. Mm. All I need is 11,780 votes and you'll be in trouble if I don't, you don't do that. And then, of course, for January 6th and the the clear... Uh, he knew, you know, he'd been told he lost. He knew he lost. And the fake electors and the putting pressure. I mean, it, and then on the one hand, we're there. That's there. And on the other hand, oh, it's not, you know, we always counted him out. We counted him out millions of times. And we're at like a precipice here, it feels like. Yeah. It does seem to be the age of nothing matters. Like, I feel like any. It's amazing what didn't matter with him. Right. And it reminds me, I've said this before, but I want to say it to you, and it, like, it has drunk dad energy. You know what I mean? It, it's like the, the family member mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that keeps crashing his car, driving drunk, or burn down the schoolhouse. And like, for some reason, that like, ah, that dad thing. That it's is a codependency kind of dynamic there, yeah. which is, you know alcoholic dad is crazy but i'm i just if he's in a good mood that's good that's right if he's in a bad mood i'm 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 afraid keep him in a good mood yeah and maybe we'll get what he yeah and also what also really happened was my former republican colleagues caved every one of them and they saw what happened if you didn't so jeff flake from arizona what's in the name right there he's gonna he's gonna Flake's not going to let you, not let you down. <laughs> His name's Flake. Oh, I see. <laughs> Skettles? <laughs> Puns to me are the highest. The highest. <laughs> Katie laughed. Form of comedy. Because <laughs> he's a flake, you see. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was so making Republican a kind of yes, a serious they, point. They turned. <laughs> they went the wrong way. Well, they, they just all caved, and caved and you know, word. I have former Republican colleagues who I talk to, and I go like, "Why won't you acknowledge publicly that the election was not stolen?" And and basically, it's because they'll lose their primary. Wow! And you'll get someone crazier than me. And I say the key word is crazier. This is the opposite of of the man who voted against the Iraq War yep. before he mm-hmm. passed. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, Wilson, yeah. Wilson, forgive me. Mm-hmm. That what a lesson in legacy. You know what I mean? Like we're so short sighted. We we they don't care. Yeah, they don't care about their legacy. Yeah, they don't care. That's 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 the interesting thing. Yeah, that I've discovered that they don't care. Just want to have be in office and get the perks and have the power, or you know, more. To, you know, Lindsey Graham, who by the way is the funniest senator uh, now. Um, sort of like being the sexiest librarian, though. It kind of is. <laughs> um, but I believe a librarian in. Um, uh, music videos in in no in the uh, <laughs> music you man was kind of with, oh a looker was a, it was a looker. There's something sexy about being shushed. I'm gonna say it. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like that. I won you back. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a long period there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Anyway, uh, yeah, they um, like Lindsay just, you know, he said that he was a pathological liar and xenophobe. <laughs> like, talking oh, about caring, not caring about your legacy, just wanted yeah, to stay yeah. In I mean, and he did, he fl- completely one eighty. You know, he's in a one eighty. Yeah, on Trump because it was, in, and he wanted to be part of. He wanted to be a player, and he wanted to keep his Senate seat. In yeah. South Carolina, you had to be a Trump supporter to keep your Senate seat. Hmm. Frightening, frightening. Um, here's another one more po- political question, then we'll get to the meaning of life, if that's okay with you. Okay. Um, it's not, no one's going to be helped by asking me that question. By your outlook on the meaning of life? Because I, I don't know if I have a profound... Oh, you don't need a profound one. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll just be two guys talking. Okay. Um, which I think is a good thing to do. Um, just in itself. Whether or not we figure it out, which we won't. So let's just let take that onus off of ourselves. Do you think we'll figure out big things, gun control, the environment? Are you optimistic or do you just... So many people I talk to are just like... We're well, fucked. I think we made some progress on gun control. Tell me. After Evaldi, people, I mean, we, we, they actually did a bipartisan bill. Uh, completely not enough, hmm. but made it harder for someone to get an assault weapon if they've had some kind of mental health, you know, red flag laws where someone can call in and say, this guy shouldn't have a gun. Hmm. And um, I did a podcast with one of the, um, parents from Sandy Hook who has started this thing called Sandy Hook Promise and she was involved in the negotiations. It was a bipartisan deal. Um, some good things in it. Some st- focus on mental health. But yeah, we're, I mean, there's no reason to have assault weapons. There's just no reason to have assault weapons. Mm. And, um, you know, if people... You know, I, people say, oh, we go hunting with them. Well, you don't really need an assault weapon to go hunting. Um, people yeah. did shoot deer before there were right. assault weapons. Right. And, you know, they uh, there's got to be a limit to uh, So, but there's some progress and people are fed up. Mm-hmm. People are fed up. Yeah. And, uh, again, though, it's... Um, it it's still republicans in states you know like texas and stuff like that will not will not go there isn't it not and you're really talking to a a rube here but like it's i know (laughs) first katie choke take that was a choke take that was was great I mean, doesn't it, it seems pretty obvious to me that it's not really about guns, right? All of this to me is tied up in psychology and parents and your father told you that liberty was having this. I I used to have a joke where I was like, I think the way they feel about guns is the way that East Coast, West Coast elites feel about their cell phones. You know what I mean? Like, no. Well, everybody feels about their cell phones. Exactly. That's that's for sure. But that's how I can relate. But like. It's not about needing a gun to shoot a deer. It's about 
that feeling of no one tells me what to do. Yep. Right? It's And that gets mixed in with liberty, personal freedom, and all that sort of stuff. So... Oh, when I mean, there's a surprising like, percentage of people who believe we need these weapons, and so they in case can they take got, down the government. They can fight the government back, yeah. <laughs> Which, But even that, whenever I hear any of these excuses, I just hear, and I'm not even trying to put them down, like an alcoholic saying, like, I just like drinking at a ball game. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, really, it's about alcohol, which you're tied to it is emotional and, and, and murky, and it's like we need Freud to get in here. It, it's... It's been conf- conflated. You know, it's so funny. I, I uh, Last night I went to a Rosh Hashanah dinner. And this is all anyone... I mean, this is what we talk about, is this divide. Yeah. And the source of it. And when it started. And how it's gotten so bad. And it's a... It's sort of the... It, it, the overriding conversation... In you know people who care about this stuff have and how do we move from where we are to somehow moving back to where this wasn't like this so at least so bad it's always existed some of this a lot of this stuff always has but it, it and and I do think that there are a lot of factors social media. Uh, where mm-hmm. people get their information, I think it has it has to do with a lot, a lot, a Cultural lot of stuff. Identity too. You even said Texas. It's like if you want to be a, a belong to a tribe. I don't even know if it's all of Texas, but you want to belong to a well, tribe. You feel this way, and again, that's why I'm always going like it's your dad. Someone's saying like I'm going to control. I'm going to tell you your dead dad is wrong, <laughs> or I'm going to, you know what I mean? I think so. Um, I'm it, saying it's way more personal. Anybody would see. Oh, it's all. I mean, but again, you can tell. It depends on what community you live in, where you're getting your information. Mm-hmm. So it isn't necessarily. And, and what's interesting is, you know, I talk about Cruz in my show, and I have a whole Ted Cruz section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cruise control? Ooh. <laughs> okay, now we like buttons. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, still no. No. It was a bad oo. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it was fun. It was a neutral oo. <laughs> You're an open book and I like it. Yes. Okay. Where was Cruise I? Control. Before the oo. <laughs> okay, so. Before that terrible fun. No, I mean, um, and one of the things I talk about is, remember Cancun and he... Texas is frozen over, and he takes a four-day vacation. He, right. Or he's going to take a four-day vacation. He gets caught in the airport. Someone videotapes him with a roller bag, and then he's photographed on the plane. He lands, and the staff calls him. We got trouble, and then he lies. He says, I just, going for, uh, I just dropped the girls off, coming right back to help. <laughs> and he wasn't. <laughs> he, he had actually been on a group chat and asked other families to join them for a four-day vacation in Cancun at the Ritz-Carlton. And normally when you invite people to do vaca- have a vacation with you, they're friends, and usually friends don't immediately go to the New York Times. Right, and, that's right. And text them, and sh- uh, the text. <laughs> anyway, but uh, Ben Shapiro friend. is this right-wing uh, guy, uh, the big 
right-wing guy said, well, what could he do anyway if he went back? And there's plenty you could do. You're one of only two federal statewide elected officials. You have a big staff. You're in touch with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. You can do stuff. There's stuff you can do. But one of the things is you can do is learn a lot about people. And I saw people who I have no in areas that I know were Trump areas where there was a flood, and you see st- people step up. Hmm. And I remember this one couple. This was it was ninety six degrees. It was a community south of Duluth, and just this flood. And this family, these two the couple, they're in their forties, I'd say, lost their their house because the foundation crumbled and i was talking to them they're sweating it's 96 out and saying like well you know we were thinking of moving to missouri because we have family there but you know what these kids these teenagers came and spent the entire weekend hauling the stuff or stuff that was ruined to the dumpsters and we decided this is our community and you go like you know what they're fucking good people Mm. on both sides mm-hmm. and we just got to find a way to tap into that but that's what you see you see people step up churches putting people up you see other people putting other people up who lost their home you see all kinds of amazing things and and when you're a senator you represent the whole state you know you represent everybody and you meet everybody mm. and i love that i love that part of it um so. Did, it, did it increase your compassion and understanding? Uh, it it increased my understanding tremendously of people and of, you know, um, again, of how, you know, people are great, can be just great. Yeah. It's funny. Individuals are, it, it, it's, a, it's a gift to be able to meet individuals, you know, spend time with people instead yeah. of masses. You know yeah. what I mean? Masses are difficult. And in a situation, that's why, you know, what can he do anyway? You can also tell people this is how you keep track of what you've lost. And so you can get this is a federal disaster. You're going to get reimbursed for this stuff, but you got to keep records of it. And that gives them hope. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, there's stuff you can do on yeah. all different kinds of levels. You yeah. Can, there's a water treatment plant that lost its, in, in Texas, they lost all their power. But you could get a you could get FEMA to get a diesel generator there, to clean so they could go back to making clean water because no one had clean water. Yeah, you can do shit. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also learn a lot. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I, I feel free to say no as you have, but is there a memory you have of meeting people that clearly disagreed with you politically and saw you as a New York showbiz? Uh, jerk face, and then they loved you, and they let you in. They didn't see me as that. They just some oh, the yes, ones who did. didn't like me. Well, maybe <laughs> some, but I'm just kidding. Mainly, it was I just you know there. I remember going to a guy in in way up uh, northwest uh, Minnesota who uh, had a business which was making uh, out uh, outdoor furnaces or something, wood burning furnaces for to heat houses. And was very successful at doing that. And he had this big kind of uh, warehouse. He had this big place. 
and every every room had Fox on. Every room, just <laughs> running on tap. If you walked in any room, it was Fox. And I was talking to him, and he um he was creating jobs for people, and he was creating a really good product. And um and at one point he he I he was working on. A, a mower. He was developing a new mower, and that swiveled hundred, uh, three hundred sixty degrees. <laughs> you know, something like yeah. that. And I went, Jesus Christ! And I go, uh, What are you gonna? Do you have a name for it? And he goes, No, I don't yet. And I go, Well, what about the swivel? And he goes, Fuck! It's fucking Democrat. Grass Democrat just thought of a good name for my fucking. <laughs> <laughs> there it is and i just like laughed and he you know he knew why i was laughing and then he laughed yeah and uh, same thing uh there's a thing there are two farm organizations one the farmers union which is the progressive organization and then there's the farm bureau okay and minnesota one out of six jobs are tied to ag so the farm bureau is much bigger and very conservative and, um, but, you know, I represent Minnesota and there are certain issues that I voted with them on, uh, for both, both the farm, farmers union and farm bureau. So one, <laughs> like my second year there, I got a sh this award from the farm bureau from the conservatives. It was like the friend of the farmer plaque. <laughs> so I'm with, I'm with the head of the, uh, the farm bureau, Kevin Papp. He's a farmer near Mankato, Minnesota, South Central Minnesota. And so I'm getting a picture taken, and I go, Kevin, I can't tell you how much this means to me. He goes, like, it's just the way you voted. Ah! And I just went like, I laughed. <laughs> and then he understood right away what he had just done and what he had said. And we became instant friends, and I just gave him shit about that for, the for years, yes. years. Yes. And then he invited me to his farm to harvest the Franken-Five. <laughs> that was the last five acres of corn that were harvested. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, you know, and he and I are just really good friends. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What great answers. All right. Meaning of life. Meaning of lifetime. Uh, dead over? You think it's over? I'm just with you. I'm jumping right to the end. Okay. When you die, lights out? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Have you had any ghosty experiences? Any near-death experiences? Nope. Um, any reason to think? I don't know. I mean, I think this is a mystery and I completely have no, I, I, I don't know. And I know that I think you have a soul, I think. And I think the fact that human beings exist is some kind of, uh, odd fucking anomaly. And, I don't know how this all started. I don't. I have a big. I don't know on all of this. Mm. I really don't. I don't. I'm not religious at all. I try to be spiritual. I try. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, it means try to connect to something that tells me what's best for me and. The people around me. You mean ethics? It's like a higher power, like a higher power. Yeah. And um, 
I don't even know what it means, but I try to connect it. Sometimes if I meditate, I connect, I get closer to that. Mm -hmm. But there's something, there, maybe there's something, or maybe it's just fucking physics, you know? <laughs> and I, I can't, you know, I keep wanting to go like, how can the universe be finite? I still haven't figured it out. I got to talk to some astrophysicist and he has to explain that or she has to explain that to do, me. Do they say it's finite? Yeah. I thought it was expanding. It's expanding, but it's finite. That sounds infinite. <laughs> it's going to keep expanding forever and ever. Well, I don't, that's a good question. I yeah. Think, but uh, they say it's finite. Hmm. So I'm going like, what? Yeah, it's, um, well, yeah. That yeah. that this is a real lava lamp conversation, but it's like what's on the other side of the expanding universe? Lava lamp meaning when like you smoke pot in college, in college and you get the yeah. lava lamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, if oh man, you know, maybe like every <laughs> atom is its own universe. <laughs> I mean, not bad. That's a lava lamp. You can, what, what I, it totally is. What I find more pressing and, and more um, experientially investigatable is does your consciousness, when you close your eyes, when you meditate, is there any border up past which your consciousness doesn't exist? Like in the same way that the universe is this endless seeming thing, so too is your inner awareness your inner reality and when and you don't have to take my word for it when you're meditating you go like where where is this does it have a beginning does it have an end mm. was the phenomenon of awareness was it born does it die is it personal these are interesting questions wow what is it that's aware I think you meditate a lot better than i do <laughs> no what is it that's aware of my experience is a good question too like what is it that that knows you're looking at me and you know it but what what knows that well, now I'm going to listen to this podcast. I, I want to figure out what you just said. <laughs> the final question, my dear friend, um, is, we sort of touched on it at the beginning, the time you laughed the hardest in your life. Can you think of it? I know you said in the writer's room, maybe there's a time with your... There are two things I can think of right off the bat uh, in... Um, Steve Martin's movie. Uh, shit, what's the name of it? <laughs> the joke. Uh, that, well, it's the one with uh, Eddie Murphy. Bowfinger. Bowfinger. When he sends Eddie Murphy across, across the highway, the freeway, <laughs> I my eyes almost popped out of my head. I was laughing so hard. And then there was one, and I had the literal feeling of my eyes may pop out of my head now. I'm laughing so hard. And I had the same experience of that when I was uh, writing, co-writing a book with Billy Kimball, who's a brilliant writer. And we were working really hard on this book. And uh, I went, we went to Canyon Ranch just to write. And we're writing, really, really writing. And he had been a consultant at Comedy Central at the time. And he just said, like, how sometimes they'll get submissions or something of an idea, 
and that sometimes someone will say they'll just submit an idea and it goes it writes itself yes and we had been working so hard and very productively and uh, but i just laugh so hard at that that how <laughs> dumb that is yes that my eyes almost popped out of my head <laughs> and right that's itself. literally if you ask me that's the hardest you ever laughed those are the two times yeah well that's like <laughs> there are all those writers room folklore stories and one of them is it's always some un- unqualified writer in a room and one of them was um hanging with mr cooper and apparently someone who hadn't really pitched the whole season goes it was quiet and they go cooper comes home house burned down springboard <laughs> like that like that's them saying it writes itself like right. if the opening shot <laughs> says house burned down <laughs> it writes itself like what's he gonna do <laughs> he's got no house it also reminds me of by the netflix building on sunset here there's somebody some beautiful soul put up a i'm saying something nice put up a billboard that is like netflix have you seen it I have a, a spy thriller for you. It oh is a my lord. can't mess series. Oh lord! And, and like, and there's two of them. There's two billboards. And I was like, I always because I'm an optimist. I always go, what if it is incredible? Like, what if? And what are the chances of that? Zero. Yes. Abs- <laughs> absolute zero, which is the name of the series. Absolute zero. <laughs> well, Al, this was a, a, a real thrill. Like I said, I, I, I was, well, I was, was nervous to do it, and, and here I was. Nothing to be Why? nervous about. Okay. Well, I told you about my dream. Oh, that's right. I wasn't like actively nervous. I just, my unconscious was like, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, you're, you've done a lot in your life. Well, I was I was calm coming into this. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you were comfortable. I was anything. happy. I was excited. Actually, I was excited. Oh, were you really? No, but I was kind of uh, looking forward to. You it. made me Krasinski. That's when you look at the camera. <laughs> no, I was I was uh, very much looking forward to it. Well, that's very there kind, you go. and there I appreciate go. it. And you're a millionaire. Would you? <laughs> would you? We we close the show with the guest saying, "Keep it crispy." It's just the catchphrase. I promise, it's not a political trap. <laughs> okay. Keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. Alt. Thank you very much. That is a first. That someone gave us four alts. Yeah. 600 plus episodes first time. <laughs> really? Yes. Thank there you. There you go. There you go. That's Thank the you. genius of the man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man.